All right. Come on. Give the Lord a great clap offering. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are excited. Amen. Uh, just before we get going tonight in, um, in our message, let's don't forget, amen, to give what belongs to God as we continue giving what belongs to the Lord and um, as we continue trusting God. Amen. Amen. So I just want to challenge you to continue trusting and we thank God for the people that has been faithful because of your faithfulness, we continue doing what we can do. Because of your support, we can continue doing ministry and, and having service that continue like everything else. So we're excited for that, and we thank you. Amen. And we're going to pray right now for the tithe and the offering. We want to pray a blessing on it. Also, we're grateful for all those who have been planting seeds into the home. Amen. Um, because we know right now the home has been fundraising. I think, I think yesterday was the first day out. Um, just to give it a little quick shot and come back with some of the bread. We thank God for all those who supported and helped with the bread. Come on, amen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody who, who bought bread. It, it sold out in one day, so we're grateful. We thank you. Um, so we're excited. They're probably going to try it again ne uh, next week. Amen. Because the one thing that doesn't stop with the homes, the bills. The bills don't stop. They continue coming. Amen. I think they've been on seven-day vacation, right? Seven weeks? Something like that. And so... Uh, uh, let's continue planting seeds and trusting God, and we thank you for all those who've, who've been supporting it. We appreciate you. We value you, and I want to thank all those also who are in my, my class. We, we started a new class called Renewing the Mind. Amen. We had a powerful service um, Tuesday. We just dealt with what is renewing the mind. Next week, we're going to talk about why do we need to renew the mind, and so I'm excited for that, and all those who graduated the class before which we talked about overcomers, so we're excited for that. Amen. So God is doing so much in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of people feeling, feeling lost. God is still moving. God is still saving. God is still touching. And God is still ministering to people. Amen. So we're using everything that we can to continue to reach people, love on people, and give them the, the word of God. Amen. So we're grateful for all you who've registered and who, who are continuing plugging in. In our, in our classes, and going from that. So we're, we're grateful, and we, we thank you. But we want to pray right now for the offering and for the tithe. Father, we want to thank you for all those that are giving their tithes and their offering that are trusting you, Father. I pray right now a blessing upon them, their finances, God. You said that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I pray blessing upon them, God. And I pray for those that are struggling right now, God, and those that are going through it right now, have lost their jobs, God. I pray you open doors. You will provide, Father. You would make a way for them, God. Those that are really making it, God. Lord, I pray that you would stretch it out, God. Stretch it out, Father. It will be more than enough, oh, God. I pray for their children. Peace on the children and strength on the children, God. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Give the Lord one more great help offering as we get going. Amen. Uh, um, I've lost my voice a little bit, so I'm, I'm not going to get too radical. I'm going to regroup on my voice. Amen. Last couple of services, we've just been going at it. And so last Sunday, this Sunday coming, we preached a, uh, on, on the anointed one. And so we had a great time with that. And today I'm going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to continue in the book of Luke. And I'm going to minister tonight on follow me. On follow me. And it's a statement that Jesus says. And he says this to his disciples. And so, though yet they're not his disciples, but it's a powerful statement that he says. In every book, it's different. So I want you to understand, the book of Matthew, the writer is writing towards the Jewish people 
to let them know that the genealogy of Jesus comes from, the, from, from King David. So that's why you read a lot about the genealogy in the book of Matthew. So it's towards the Jewish people to show them that he is the Messiah. The book of, the book of Mark, he's talking about Jesus as a servant. He, he, he comes to serve. Now the book of Luke, he's speaking to the intelligent people. He, he's speaking to the intelligent people and he's preaching about the perfect Jesus, the perfect God. The book of John, he's talking about portraying him to the church and to the people as the son of God. So these are four different perspectives on who Jesus is. Now let me give you an illustration how that is. It's like me. To you guys, I'm your pastor. To my wife, I'm her husband. To my children, I'm their father. To my family, my sisters, I'm their brother. So they have four different ways of writing a report about me because their point of view, how they see me and their perspective as, as a church, you're gonna write how you perceive me as a pastor. My wife is gonna write how she perceives me as a, as a husband. My children are gonna, are gonna write, perceive me, how they see me as a father figure. And the same thing with my sisters and my brothers. They're gonna, they're gonna write a report perceiving how they see me as a brother. And so they're gonna match up, but some things are gonna be more detailed than others. And so the book of Luke is very, very detailed. That's why when I started teaching about Jesus, the Lord told me, I want you to come out of Matthew and come out of Luke because there's going to give you a powerful outlook on who I am as, as Jesus Christ. So I've been, I've been doing that and we're gonna merge back and forth in some scriptures in Matthew because Matthew covers some stuff that Luke didn't. So I wanna just emerge them in as we continue talking about Jesus and follow me. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, verse 42 and 44. When you have it, say amen. Go ahead, sweetheart. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Go, go chapter 5. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. 
And so were James and John and Zebedee's sons who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boat to land, left everything, and followed him. Now we're going to go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want to lay this out so that we can get into it. Matthew chapter 4. Read verse 17 to 25. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, which they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fishers for people. Amen. We'll, we'll stop right there. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight, Father, for your word. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us and give us a revelation that we will grab a hold of this word, Father. That you will begin to build us, O oh God. That we will begin to see your word and see what you want of us, Father, as a church and as a body and as a family, Father. Lord, awaken things in us, Father. Awaken things in us. Let your word bring revival, Father. Let your word, Father God, begin to open our minds to receive what you have for us, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. Give the Lord a great clap offering, amen. Now, I want you to see the picture here. We see Matthew, Matthew begins to explain a little bit more on Jesus coming and talk about repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we see him walking up by the sea of Galilee. See the two brothers, Simon, called Peter and Andrew. He begins to name all of them, casting them into the sea. And he says, them, follow me and I will make you a fisherman. But in Luke, it gets a little bit more detail in the book of Luke. So that's what I want to begin to show you a little picture here. I need you to see that Jesus comes from preaching in the synagogues in Galilee. He comes from preaching in the, in the, in, in the synagogues and, and he's, preaching, he's preaching among teachers, scholars, among educated and well-known people. He's preaching to people that are highly esteemed. And so there he is in his ministry. Remember when he was 12 years old, that he was preaching in the synagogues or teaching. He was asking questions. He was answering questions. He was understanding. And he was amongst these scholars. And so this is where he's coming out of right now. And he's, and he's coming out of that. Coming into, here's the picture. He's coming down now to this sea. And he's at the shorelines of this lake. Excuse me, this lake. This Lake Jen. It's called Lake Jen. In Hebrew, it's known as the Princess Garden. It's known as the Princess Garden. Why? Because this lake was rich in soil. It was, it was, it was, had beautiful water that it would crystallize and look beautiful. It had all kinds of trees. They would all grow together. During the seasons, there was trees that would grow in it, which were walnut trees, which was fig trees, which were palm trees, and a lot of different other stuff. And it was a beautiful sight. It was a glorious site. It was connected to the Jordan River. And so the water would come inside it. And a lot of the people would come because they loved the fishing. There was great fishing there. It was, it was great fishing. Now you got to see the picture. It wasn't just one lake, one boat on a lake. There, they say there was up to, some say up to anywhere from 15 to 4,000 boats on that lake at one time. That's how beautiful and how great and how uh, bountiful that lake was. 
So here's Jesus he's coming down and he's about to minister to what it looks so beautiful. But at the time that Jesus, listen to what I'm saying. By the time that Jesus got there, time had passed and that lake was no longer looking like that. That lake all of a sudden was filled with violent men, um, poor people, the poorest of the people, the peasants of the land, um, barbarians of that time. So now what used to be a beautiful dream place now became a hostile takeover. And so now somewhat, it looked like almost, let's just say the picture of, of downtown LA. And so they had all moved in, which was supposed to be a beautiful, just like uh, there was a neighborhood out there where we grew up at. And the game of that neighborhood was called Dream Homes. And the reason why it was called Dream Homes, it was because it was supposed to be dream homes, dream, the houses of dream people, the dream houses for everyone to live at, supposed to be the top of the line houses. But eventually, people started moving out, the neighborhood started coming in, and all of a sudden, they grew a big old neighborhood there. So the picture I want you to see is this, is that all of a sudden, Jesus is literally walking into the neighborhood. Jesus is literally going into the neighborhood. He's going into where all these violent men are, all these cussers and craziness and, and barbarians, uh, poor of the poor, uh, um, peasants, and just, just straight out cycle. He, this, is, this is what I want you to catch. Jesus decides, this is where I'm going to go and pick my first disciples. I, I, I don't think you got that. He didn't pick his first disciples in the synagogue. He didn't pick his first disciples uh, um, from these professors and these teachers, these philosophers, these scholars, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, uh, the, Sag the Sagittines. They, they, he did not even pick those. He decides to leave and the Bible says they did not want him to leave. He says the crowd began to push on him. In other words, they're saying, no, 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 come on, stay here, stay here. You know when your family didn't want you to leave your house, the kids will come and grab your legs and hold on to you. No, no, stay here, stay here. That's the picture they were pushing on Jesus to try to keep them. But Jesus says something profound in Luke 4, verse 43. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. Wow. For this purpose, I have been sent. He said, I have been sent to go preach the gospels to different cities. You guys with me? Amen. See, again, he picked his first disciples, not from the synagogue. Not from the prestige. Well, there's nothing wrong with the prestige. There's nothing wrong with the scholar. There's nothing wrong. Amen. There's nothing wrong. But here's the picture that Jesus did in his time. The Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, 32, read that, sweetheart. Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. He, 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 they started tripping because Jesus, all of a sudden, he ends up with Matthew, the tax collector, down the line. And he, he's saying, man, I didn't come for the healed, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the saved, I came for the sinner. So he said, I have come to call the righteous, excuse me, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Wow. 
And this is the picture. It's a beautiful picture, church. A beautiful picture of, of Jesus preaching on the boat. He's on the boat and, and he, he, he pushes through. He gets past. The people are following him. He has a crowd following him. And now none, he had no room to preach in the synagogues what he was about to preach. So he goes to the lake of, of um, the prince's garden. And he, there, there's Simon, Simon Peter. And he gets into his boat. This is the picture. He's in the boat and the boat is like a regular small fishing boat. It's not a big boat. It's a small fishing boat. And, and amongst that, his, his, there's another boat next to him, which is the people who work with him, which was his partners, which was his family, friends. And so he, Jesus gets in the boat. And he says this to Simon Peter. He tells him, I want you to push off a little bit from the shore. Now, the reason why is because he wanted an amphitheater sound when it would come from that point it was it was a good sound and he would go and he would minister and so he was able to see everybody and see a, a good view from it from he backed up enough to get a good view of what's going on and the bible says that he sat and we know why he sat because why because every time they begin to break stuff down the jewish people would sit they would read the prophetic word read the scrolls and then they would sit to teach so the Bible says that he's sitting in the boat and he began to teach. And he began to teach the word and he began to teach them. And he's telling them what he had just got done teaching in the synagogues. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about, uh, um, about the gospel. And he's sharing the things with them. He's reading, he's reading stuff and he's giving his heart to them. And he's getting to a place of repentance. Because he says, I have come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. So he lays out a word and it don't really say what he said. But we see in Matthew how he talks about a little bit more of what he said. Remember in Matthew 4, was it 4, we talked about, and he talked about repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He picks up a little bit what John the Baptist is preaching and, and together they fortify the word and they bring it across. You guys with me today? Now all of a sudden, he goes out and he pushes out. This is what I love. He launched, he tells, he tells Peter, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Remember, they had just came in from fishing. They had just came in from toiling all night. They had just came in from working all night. I don't know about you, but I fished. I fished all night, all day, from the morning to the next day. My God, and throwing fish and, and fishing and fishing and catching nothing is tiresome. Got to fix the hooks, got to put bait on, and that's just one line. I've never casted a net before, but man, it's tiresome. Just It's on your arms, it's on your back, it's on your feet, it's in your head, the sun pounding on you, and especially you don't catch nothing. It's even worse. At least a bite or a minnow, but nothing and these nets, when I was in the Philippines, I went fishing because I wanted to go fishing in the Philippines. So I told one of the guys, hey, man, let's go out and I'll take care of you. So I got one of the fishing boats and we went out. We, we set up 600 hooks. And it's the way they did it, they would get, it was, it, was, it was all set up, reeled, and every six inches there was a hook. So we had cast out 600 hooks. And it, it took a lot of work to lay it out. It was one across of the lake, all the way to the other side of the lake, and we laid it out. And we baited each one of them. And so we sat there, we waited. And after we waited a, a particular time, we came back and started pulling back all the hooks and reeling everything in by hand. It was all done by hand. Man, it was tiresome. We caught one fish, man, out of 600 hooks. I looked at them and I'm like, man, one fish? 
And we're going to feed all 10 of us. But we did. We enjoyed it. But it was at least it was one fish. We were tired. We were burnt out. We got back and everybody was all tired. I could just imagine how tired and how frustrating he was. And Jesus tells him, I want you to go out deeper, deeper. Now listen to this, please. This is the real test here. Because Jesus will always tell you something and want to see, are you really listening? The real test comes after we hear a preaching, after we read the word, do we really listen? Will we really obey? Will we really go out and do what's asked of us? Will we really connect and engage and do what he wants us to do as a church and as a body and as believers? Will we follow him? That's when the real test comes. In other words, when Jesus told him, go out to the deep, he said, do you really hear what I was preaching, Peter? Peter, did you really receive what I've been preaching? Because if you do, I need you to go out to the boat. Come on, somebody, go out deeper. Someone say deeper. Say with me, say deeper. He said, launch out to the depth. Launch out to the depth. All of a sudden, Peter says this. He says, he says, man, we've been here all night. Come on, somebody. We've been trolling all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. Jesus, your word. In other words, he's saying, Peter's saying, I like what you preached, Jesus. I heard what you preached. What you said affected me. What you were telling us and what you're telling everybody affected my life. So I'm going to do what you told me to do. At your word, I will do. Say it with me. At your word, I will do. In other words, I believe what you're preaching, Jesus, and I'm going to do it. All of a sudden, they, they caught more than they ever caught simply because they obeyed. There's something about obedience that changes things. There's something when we obey God's word that changes the dynamics of our lives. All of a sudden, the Bible says that their nets were about to break. If their nets would have broke, they would have lost all that fish. But the nets didn't break. They were about to break, and they needed help. Someone say help. They needed help. So they, all of a sudden, they cried out for help. As my wife was reading, they, they cried out for help, and they said, they said, come out. And all of a sudden, they come in, and they started helping them, and they started filling the boat. Now, this is what I'm going to start getting into. Lay, lay, lay a foundation. Jesus was showing Peter a picture of what's to come. He was showing them that this is what's to come. You're going to have to get a little deeper with me. You're going to have to get off the shoreline if you really want to follow me. You're going to have to really stop skipping on the water and get into the deep. If you really want to see what God has for you, some of you just got to get off your butts and start really following. We're going to talk about that right now. And so here's the picture. Jesus was showing them a prophetic word through this. The fish were the people that were going to come to Jesus. That was, that was the harvest field. And the call to help others or the call to help him were the need of more, fo more followers. So when they were carrying the nets and bringing the fish in, there was a picture of the harvest that's about to come because yet not Jesus, yet not had, had went out and do great things yet. He's really getting ready to bring, develop his followers. And so he's showing them, we're going to need help for this harvest field. We're going to need help. And I need you to call out and, and, and tell them to come and help us. And the picture is people coming 
and following and helping bring in the harvest. And God is saying today, uh, he's calling out to you and saying, my brother, my sister, will you be part, amen, of the harvest field? Uh, will you be part and helping reaching the harvest, the lost, uh, the hurting, uh, the bound, uh, the, 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 the hurting, uh, those that are depressed, uh, oppressed, uh, demon-possessed, uh, those that are addicted, those that are messed up and miserable? Will you help pull in and draw in for the kingdom of God is at hand? Woo! Losing my voice, but I'm going to get the best I can. Amen. I believe God wants to raise a generation of true followers. A generation of followers. Generation just like Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the other disciples. See, amongst this, God is doing something powerful. Can someone say Amen. God is doing something great and something awesome. And there's a lot of misconceptions about followers. I want to talk about what is a follower? What, what is a follower? Now, we think a follower simply is one who comes to church. We think a follower is one who says, I'm a Christian. That, that's, that has nothing to do with being a follower. That simply saying, if that was the picture, then it's like Jesus going to the disciples and saying, Peter, Andrew, can you just say you know me? Can you just say that you're a follower of me, but don't have to do what's asked of you? You can just, you can just tell everybody when they pass by, say, oh, yes, I'm a follower. But that's not true. What is a follower? Basically, a follower is a disciple. A disciple is a student. He's a learner. He's a pupil. You begin to learn things. You begin to begin to understand stuff. You begin to you begin to become a pupil. If you know anything about a pupil, you've heard me, those that have been in my classes, you know what I talk about when I talk about discipleship. A pupil is when you see someone's pupil, you can see the reflection of the person who's looking at them. So all of a sudden, when you're a pupil, you're reflecting who Jesus is. A student studies what he wants to learn. He's studying about music. He becomes a musician. Musician. If he's studying about food, he's becoming a, a chef. If he's studying about mechanics, he's becoming a, a mechanic. So whatever you study is what you become. So in, re in reality, a disciple is a person who learns to live the life of his teacher. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. I want you to read, read this, sweetheart. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Hey Amen. He says, he says, you're not above your teacher, but when you're trained, you're going to be like your teacher. So it's proceeding to be like him and to have the understanding of him. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, 9. Read Philippians 4, 9. I know it's not in their text. But Philippians 4, 9, can you get there for me? Why don't you read that real quick? Man. Philippians 4, 9. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. He said, just do what you've learned and what you've seen 
as a student, as a, as a learner, as a pupil. So again, what is a follower? He is a disciple. He is one who studied, one who is a student, a learner, a pupil, one who learns to live the life of his teacher. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples, follow me. They didn't know what they were going to get themselves into. They didn't know what was about to happen. They didn't have the full picture, the full scope of what it was to be a disciple. But he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter all of a sudden starts saying, man, I'm a sinner. I'm filthy. My, get out of my sight, Jesus. I'm not worthy to be in your sight. And Jesus saying, this is who I came for. I came for the lost. I came for the hurting. I, but will you follow me? Will you follow me out of that condition? Will you come out of your hurt? Will you come out of your depression? Will you come out of your suicide? Will you come out of your mess? See, the whole point of being a disciple, of being a follower, is that we will imitate him. We will carry on his ministry and eventually become more like him. Listen to what I'm saying. Is that we will begin to imitate Jesus Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're going to carry on his ministry. We're going to carry on the message of repentance. Uh, 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 the message of hope. The message of a second chance. And eventually become more like him. This is the key to a follower, please. Followers are not perfect Please get this through your head. Followers are not perfect, but they do let Jesus correct their imperfections. What does that mean, Pastor? That means you're going to come just like Peter. Peter wasn't perfect, but he followed. And through their journey with Jesus, Jesus was constantly rebuking the hell out of Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And he tells them and he says things to him because why? Because he was dealing with his imperfections. Jesus would deal with our imperfections. Yes, we're not perfect, but we are, we're esteemed to become more like Christ. So the thing is, are we a follower? Are we really a follower? Are we becoming more like Christ? Are we becoming more like our teacher? See, you can be around a teacher and never even look like him. You can be around, you can be around me like a preacher. There's some people that I know, they, they, I, I'll be teaching, and it's like going right through their brains. Because their life don't show it. So you can be around and not catch it. So refuse to be like that. Be around and catch it. Just like Judas, Judas didn't catch it. Judas knew the secret place of Jesus. Judas knew the prayer place. Judas, Judas knew the intimacy of Jesus. But he was chosen but never committed. God is looking for followers that are committed. So you can know the secret place. You can know the intimacy of Jesus. But you can be a Judas. A betrayer. Saying things. The Bible says that the disciple called him and said, Judas only, he gets the money bag and does what he want with it. They knew that there were signs of a betrayer amongst the followers. So the picture is this. Judas could have got better if he would have just listened to Jesus dealing with his imperfections. I, I feel that Jesus, that, excuse me, Judas could have had the time to repent. 
but he didn't want to because he was chosen like the 12, but was never committed. Jesus chooses all these disciples. He, he calls the first four. Read, read, read um, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16, please. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. He also named the apostles, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Dang. They know him. Some say Judas the betrayer. They, they knew this. I believe Jesus, Jesus gave him time to repent as a follower. He even told him, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, who, 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 who? And he says, the one who puts the bread into the wine. And Judas is like, who? Not me. You know how uh, you can hear a preaching and hear a service and God did with your heart, but you still never come to the altar and repent? How God can deal with your heart and you still not listen. And you know God's talking to you, but you fight it. And you're like, no, no, so-and-so should have been here. So-and-so, you are here. God's speaking to you. Amen. Woo, it's getting deep. Hallelujah. So followers are not perfect. But they do let Jesus, they let Jesus correct the imperfection. You know that I've learned throughout the years, all of a sudden, God raises generations of people who are, who are full of flaws and people who have hangups and people who, who have character, uh, under character developments and, and, and they don't have no personality, but they get them and they come to Jesus with all those. When I got saved, I, wasn't, I was messed up. My mind was messed up. I was, I, I was twisted. I was, I was angry. I was, I was indecisive. I had all these things battling, but I said, God, I want to do something for you. So I followed. I said, I'm going I'm to follow. And while I was following, God dealt with my imperfections. Even as a pastor, when I started, man, I had a lot of imperfections. I didn't know. And God dealt with my imperfections. Even now, even more, the last couple of years, God has dealt with my imperfections. Because when you think you're perfect, you just done screwed everything up. When you think nothing's wrong with you, you just missed everything up. When you can be honest with yourself and say, God, deal with my imperfections, that's when you're becoming more like Christ. That's why Paul said, he says, man, I'm a wretched man that I am. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm the chief sinner. Because he knew how much he was doing for God and how much handcuffs he still had. So God was, God was dealing with his imperfections. And God will deal with the imperfections of the followers. Can someone say amen? So, so what is a follower? He's a student. He's a pupil. He's a learner. Who's, who's one who begins to follow Christ and imitate Christ. Amen. So second thing is, how do I become a follower? How do I become a follower? How do I become a follower? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Listen to this. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mm. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at and 
So we need repentance. Repentance makes us a follower. The word repent means this, to turn, to turn. Now repentance, it's not a one-time thing. Oh yeah, I repented back in the 70s. I repented back in the 80s. I repented when I got saved. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is a lifestyle. And so you got to be willing to repent and open up. I repent every day, every morning, every evening, and every night. That's just me. I don't want to get caught off guard and go to hell. Amen. I don't want to get caught. I'm going to repent. I don't, I'm going to repent. Every time I pray, I repent. First, I say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I, the first thing I do is I'm going to repent. <laughs> repent means this. Change directions and go the opposite way. Well, you say, Pastor, well, I'm saved and I gave my life to Jesus, but you're still going the same way. You're still doing the same thing. You're talking the same way, acting the same way, doing the same things, going the exact same directions. All you had was an, was an experience. You repented, but you kept going the same direction. And so this is what we think. It's okay to be a follower and go to church like that or know God like that. And that's why we have our kids go through hell. That's why we have problems at home. That's why our marriage falls apart. And that's why people look at us and say, I don't want to go to your church. Are you with me? So repentant means I'm, I was going this way, but I changed and I, I gave up. And now I'm going this way. I was going to hell, I was going fast, but I changed directions and now I'm going to heaven. Repentance involves action. There has to be action. It's not just words, Lord, I, I forgive me, Lord, and you go do the exact thing over and over and over again. The Bible calls that reprobate. You are an habitual backslider. He talks about habitual in the Bible, uh, consistent doing the same thing over and over. It's, 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 it's just, get, I don't want to even go there, praise the Lord. Too much information. So repentance involves action. Jesus was telling people to prepare themselves for change. So he was, when he came and he was preaching the message of repentance at the Sea of Galilee, and when he was ministering, he was, the disciples were hearing, and he was telling them, prepare yourselves for a change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven is coming. If somebody told me an army was going to come and you need to be ready for it, I would get ready for it. But a lot of times we don't want to believe things. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. Are you ready to change your heart? Are you ready to change your mindset? Are you ready to change your lifestyle? Amen. Why? Why am I saying this? Because God wants to raise a generation of followers who are not just saying I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Christ and there's no evidence, there's no power. 
There is just hopelessness and other things. But the Bible says this, Romans 3.23. The, 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 the book of Romans, these scriptures, write these down, these will help you. Why do we need to change our heart, our thinking, our lifestyle? Because Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, all of us, your grandma, your grandpa, your brother, your sister, your mama, your aunt, your uncle, me, you, and all of us, all of us. Oh, but they're sweet and they're kind. And oh my, not my mom, yeah, your mom. No, not my dad, yeah, your dad. All are sinners. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin and living in sin is death. That means hell. That means a spiritual death. That means their sin is going to take them to hell. But no one wants to say that. We're living in the last days. We need to get some things right. If we're going to follow, know that you're in sin and you need Jesus because the wages of sin is death. See, this is the only wage that doesn't change. Wages used to be $11 and now they're $15 and now somebody, the wages have changed, but the wages of sin, the same pay that you're going to get for your sin is death. Wow. Look at Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that. Go to Romans 10, 8 when you get right now. Look at the picture. While we were still sinners, when you were still in your misery, when you were still in the clubs, when you were still in prison, when you were still in the neighborhood, when you were still addicted, when you were over there sleeping around, when you were over there spreading your legs, when you were over there doing your own thing, Jesus died for you. He died for us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he's saying, I love you. I loved you before you even got saved. I loved you before you even came to Christ. Because I loved you before you even came to church. I loved you before you even came on the worship team. I loved you before you came on the usher team. I loved you before you even came preaching. I loved you before that. When you were miserable, when you were down out, when you were in the crack house, when you were in the street. I loved you then. He says, but you got to make sure that you have repented because that's what's going to change your destiny and your, your place of home. Romans 10, 8 through 13, please. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is a message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Go ahead. And believe in your heart. And believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. That he raised from the dead. God raised his son from the dead. You will be saved. You will be saved. So there has to be some belief from us. Followers, do you believe that? 
people, do you really believe that? Because if you do believe that, then Jesus says, you can be my follower. Not just by name, but by action. So repentance makes us followers of Jesus Christ. cover one more point one more point the impact of the followers there's an impact when you follow Jesus Christ there's an impact that happens in your family in the ministry in your city we don't have impact because we're not really following so then it's just a religion and not a relationship and so that there is no effect see these followers these disciples that we talked about were taught and soon displayed a remarkable growth over time it didn't happen right away but over time over time Peter was denying Jesus. Over time, Peter cut an ear off the centurion. Over time, G uh, Peter wanted to, to wash down Jesus' whole body and he rebukes him and says, get behind me, devil. Uh, all this rebellion and, and all of a sudden, you know, doubting Thomas, he wasn't always doubting Thomas. There's a, there's a scripture that says how powerful Thomas was. He said, let's go die with God. But through time, he lost his faith. Through time, he lost his faith, and that can happen to us as leaders, as people. We can, all of a sudden, we were diehards, but now we're like doubting Thomas. We're doubting followers, and we lose our impact as followers. So either time with Jesus is gonna make you an impact follower, or no impact. All of a sudden, church, listen closely. From fishermen's, doctors, tax collectors, from powerless, from weak and stubborn men to full of the authority and power of God. They all of a sudden portrayed a, a power and an anointing on their lives. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, he gave them power over the unclean spirits. Woo! These guys who were consistently in arguing, because I know there was some arguing. I know there was some dysfunction. I know this worship team, you see them looking nice, but on practice, you know they're heathens. I see the video. So I know there's trouble. Even in the leadership, I know there's trouble. I remember being in the room with the leaders, the leadership with, with Pastor Ruben, and all of a sudden, everybody started manifesting. And I'm like, wow, we're the men of God. Because I know there's troubles when it comes to time when men come together and followers come together. So we have to be willing to let God get rid of our stubbornness, get rid of our weaknesses, get rid of our rebellion get rid of our crazy ideas even our imperfections 
when we think, well, we can't do it. So you think you can't do it, so you don't do it. That's not cool. Because greater he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you think that I can do this? I can't do this. I don't even know what I'm doing. It's by the grace of God that I'm a pastor. It's by the grace of God that I'm a husband. It's by the grace of God that I'm a father. I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess greater he that's in me. Because I know how stubborn, how rebellious, how much of a knucklehead I was. So this is what takes place, church. Jesus saw in them something that no one else did. Please, if anything, write this down. Jesus sees the value in us to use us. Jesus sees the value in us to use us. Man, I wouldn't even use me. <laughs> but I had to look at what God gives me. I tell my wife, I got to see what God gives me. And I'm going to use it because he's telling me, use them. He's telling me, work with them. He tells me, believe in them. And she looks at me, she says, are you sure? I said, look it, I'm not sure, but the Jesus I serve is sure. And so you can never know what people can do unless you give them an opportunity. I've given a lot of people all the opportunities. And all of a sudden, they begin to become Judas's and take it off. But some are like Peter, they're crazy and they're down. Some are like John, they're beloved, they're so sweet, they're the beloved. John will lay on the bosom of Jesus and I got some sweet people like that but amongst picking 12, 12 followers you're going to have different type of followers but choose what type you want to be amen see in the hands of Jesus they would become fishers of men in the hands of Jesus Christ they would become fishers of men. See, this is what we don't understand. Please listen to this. These men had wives. These men had lives. These men had stuff outside of church. But they decided to say, we're going to follow you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're going to follow you, and we're going to prioritize my life, and you're going to be first in everything, because if I'm a better follower, I'm a better husband. If I'm a better follower, I'm a better son. If I'm a better follower, I'm a better man. If I'm a better follower, I'm a better daughter. So the better you learn, the more you become a pupil, the more you become a student, the more you learn, the better you become. Woo! So with the hands of Jesus, they become fishers of men. When you stay put, he will make you great. Oh, oh my God. When you stay put, when you stop jumping around and you stop being a, a church evangelist, going everywhere and every place, you stop being a men's home evangelist, every men's home down the street up north and up south women's home evangelist you're in every department in every place when you just stop and become set steady and still you're going to grow roots and you're going to blossom some powerful fruit oh my god powerful fruit
these disciples, these followers, they broke limitations. They broke limitations as followers. Jesus instilled in them that nothing was impossible. You know, I, I love this worship. I love this worship. I like picking on them because they're the only ones that hear. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I love this worship team because I give them a song, they'll learn it. But when they don't want to, they make excuses. But I know what they can do. They can get a song out of nowhere and within a few minutes, they'll be playing it. I'm like, my God, I've never seen that before. I, I told other pastors, they're like, no, it takes us sometimes weeks and months to learn a song. I'm like, huh? This is a sick team. They break limitations when they work together. Come on, somebody, they break limitations when they come together. There's nothing they can't do. They can do anything. I taught our people, we can do anything. What do you think when I close a service with God, all things are what? Possible. Because if you don't even hear me preach, if it doesn't even affect you, at least you know with God, all things are possible. When you feel like you can't do it, with God, all things are possible. When you feel like everything's falling apart, with God, all things are possible. So unless I'm putting that in you, so Jesus instilled in them nothing was impossible. Just to believe and to trust. And to stay full of faith. Because always he dealt with their faith. He would always tell them, Oh, you faithless generation. Oh, you faithless. Oh, you don't have faith. Jesus was constantly dealing with them about their faith. Instilled in them great and mighty things. Go to Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Now I'm closing. And because of him, and because of him affecting and impacting the followers, and the followers impacting the next generation and the generations to come, we can feel it today. What would be Acts chapter 17, verse 6? When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down and have come here too. <laughs> These who have turned the world upside down. Another scripture says they were unlearned and uneducated men. My God. Closing with this. I want you to all stand with me, all stand with me. Jesus needs more followers for the harvest to come. I'm telling you, there's a great harvest about to come. We're in the perfect time. We're in the perfect season for what God's about to do. He wants to raise some followers. He needs followers. He needs followers like you and me that will be true to him. To reach the world, to reach the lost, to teach them the word of God, to bend the hurts and pains, and to send them out to reach the world. He needs us to be examples. He needs, he needs the followers to be example. Let me tell you, men, it's scary when you can encourage other people and not your own house. 
I see men talk to women and other people and encourage them. And they can't even encourage their own house. Encourage your home first. Be an example in your home. Women, stop being nice and great to other people. Be nice and great to your spouse. So we can heal our homes with examples so that we can help other people. That was a Christian commercial. Give you two more things and we're done. Jesus needs followers to show hope in hopeless times. To show hope in hopeless times. My question to you, when you become a follower that will change this world, when you become a follower that will impact this world, impact your family, impact your employment, impact this nation, impact your neighbor, impact your spouse. If that's you, I want you to stand with me, stand with me. Just lift up your hands and let's begin to worship. Let's begin to worship. Hallelujah. Shut up, my name, that up, my Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shut up, my name, that my Yes, oh God. 